Welcome to A Word from Our Outpost with Joseph and Crystal Gruber, a podcast for Catholic disciples who are wrestling to be missionary-minded in their normal, everyday lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Direct, amen. O Lord, our actions by thy holy inspiration, carry them on by thy gracious assistance, that every word and work of ours may begin in thee, and by thee be happily ended. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of amen. the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Hello, Andrew. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Oh, our pleasure. Thanks for joining us. We're excited to get in more interviews in general and excited to, yeah. Interview you in particular. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's been fun to reconnect. What we ran into each other feels like a long time ago now. That's because it was a long time ago. (laughs) With a mutual friend, Amber, who I think you were her team lead, right, Joseph? I was. And, um... I think we tagged along at a retreat center when she was in, in the area near our home. And then, um, and since then, it's exciting to see what you all are up to with uh, the ministry. And um, yeah, yeah, then you led for, my wife and I joined a couple weeks ago. You led us through an evening of prayer and reflection together, which was a real blessing for us. Um, and I hope it's something that, that you can continue to do because it was awesome. Oh, thanks. Great. We liked doing it. You sent out a survey, but it's hard to get like intonation from (laughs) surveys. It sounded like it was actually okay. Yeah, it was good. It was good in two ways. One, you didn't try to do too much. It wasn't like we showed up and you blasted us with a fire hose for three hours and sent us home bewildered with a head full of information. Um, And and it was very much like, like the couples in the room, we were all, you know, we're all into our faith. We're living it. We're trying to we don't really need the basics. Um, and you gave us something really solid to chew on and digest and practical and fun. Yeah. So it was a lovely evening. Yay. That's, that's like exactly what we were aiming for. So I'm glad to hear that that's where we hit. Um, awesome. Yeah. And it was fun to reconnect with you and hear that you've been podcasting and sharing more about your journey, which is, I'm very excited to hear more about. Yeah. Yeah. How can we just, tee you off so that you talk for a while. That, that is what I most want to have happen right now. Yeah. Well, my podcast is called Physically Spiritual. And um, in it, I, I basically explore the connection between health and holiness from a Catholic perspective. And the presumption that I make is if we can kind uh, of kind of combine the, the symphony of truth through faith and reason, through things like biology, psychology, philosophy, and theology, that we can discover God's design for living. Um, so that's that's kind of the the basic foundation of of the podcast. And uh, so what I'm doing there isn't really like basic catechesis. You know, it's you're not going to log in there and hear, you know, the hundred phrases that you hear thrown around on the internet all the time about the church. It's not apologetics, but we're we're really trying to explore and go deeper and um, do some theoretical stuff. And likely, I'm making some mistakes and errors along the way. Uh, but I'm I'm willing to admit when I'm wrong. But the idea is to kind of take the dialogue deeper and provide people with something more s- substantial to chew on. And and where that came from in my life was um, I've I've been on this journey for about 20 years now. I can't really believe it at this point, but <laughs> that's that's kind of where I'm at. I, I when I when I thought of myself 20 years ago, I and I thought where I would be in my late 30s. I thought I'd be a lot further along the way, but you know, (laughs) um, but yeah, when I, uh, part of my journey was four years in the seminary and I went into the seminary thinking, you know, the Lord's going to kind of through the formation, tidy me up a little bit and I'll come out of the seminary like a saint and ready to change the world as a holy priest. Mm. Four Um, years sounds about right for that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Four years sounds about right. Yeah, Yeah. But but what the Lord did with me during that time wasn't so much make me the saint that I thought I would be, you know, like reading all these old, beautiful, wonderful books, but like the imitation of Christ and introduction to the devout life and, you know, all the kind of the, the solid classics. Um, what the Lord did with me during that time was to make me more human. Mm. Um, and, and with that uh, really began a, a healing journey in my life and, Interestingly enough, a few years into the seminary, I started getting a word for mission. Now we had these like meditation times we'd make during the day. I just started getting this word mission and prayer. It just kept coming up 
mission, mission, mission. And at first I was like, okay, Lord, do you want me to like go into the missions? I'll go off to Africa, Zimbabwe, join the missionaries of charity priests or something like that. And, um, and it became clear that no, the mission was here. You know, the, the new evangelization was here. Like the, like this is quickly becoming mission territory around us yeah. <laughs> every day. Yeah. Um, and in the moment that clarified in my mind that the Lord was really calling to be a missionary where he kind of grew me in my home diocese, um, the very next word that started coming up in my prayer was marriage. And I thought, okay, like this is a temptation. You know, I want to be a priest. All my formation directors are giving me the thumbs up. The diocese is giving me the thumbs up. You know, like if I want to be a priest and everyone else wants me to be a priest, Lord, like why wouldn't that be what's going to happen here? <laughs> Um, but the word marriage just kept coming into my heart and mind when I turned to the Lord and it got to the point where I, I literally couldn't reflect without it being there. Mm. It, it's like, like an elephant in the room. My mind had grown and grown and grown and grown to the point where there wasn't space for anything else. So I made the, uh, the prudent decision and decided to stop praying, which <laughs> I don't recommend. I've been um, there. <laughs> and, uh. That wasn't the right right answer, but I went back to the seminary, and and this kind of gives you a snapshot into my life at the time. I, I was meeting with my spiritual director, and he said, "He said, Andrew, like, why can't you look at this? Like, I, why can't you think that this is the Lord speaking to you?" And I said, "I don't know." And I and he just told me to sort of try to be open to it. And I left the meeting frustrated. And at the time, you know, I think I went and played some video games, and then stepped outside and had a smoke, and um, you know. That's kind of give you a window into the kind of where my health was at that point. Yeah. And um. And that evening, or, or soon after, you know, memory is a weird thing. It it kind of gets blended up. I had just had this meditation that the Lord had given me that, um, you know, that the fruit in the garden was the knowledge of good and evil, and Adam and Eve weren't dumb, right? They were wise. They knew the Lord. They had named the animals. They you know, their mind wasn't darkened by sin. So it wasn't that they were ignorant of good um, or potential evil. But what it was, was really they were grasping at it, right? The, the fruit, taking the fruit was them taking it for themselves and not relying on the Lord. And I realized like, that's what I was doing with my vocation. That I, I didn't trust what the Lord was placing in my heart. Like I didn't want to make a choice until I was certain, until I was sure, until I had this kind of like apodictic certainty that I was doing the right thing. Mm. Um, and when the Lord opened my eyes up to that, um, it's like, it just changed my whole perspective one. And then over the next month, as I was kind of praying with that and sitting with that in the chapel, it's like this dissonance that had been in my heart as I was resisting the Lord's words became harmony. And it was like a fog kind of lifted from my soul. And, and so at that point, I, I left the seminary to discern marriage. Um, and that's, that's all kind of like the background of, of what I'm doing now is that like clear call to one, to mission, and then two, to marriage. And then putting that together, I, I, I jumped into parish ministry when I discerned out of the seminary and had um with some some good friends and, and a lot of passion had helped start uh, an apostolate to teach the theology of the body. And, um, you know, was teaching at the parish while I was working, but then was also getting more and more invitations to go and do teachings kind of regionally at, you know, places where teachers were being trained or people that worked at churches were being trained or going and giving a talk to that group or this group. And, and frankly, that I just started experiencing like dissonance again, this, this rub and what the rub was, was I was going around talking about the theology of the body, but my body was frankly a mess. You know, I was, yeah. I gained a bunch of weight. I was smoking. Like I'd already said, my sleep was awful. The way I was dealing with stress, um, like across the board, my health was just not very good, <laughs> you know? So it was like, you know, your, your body's an icon of God. And, and like, I'm sitting up there thinking like, well, my body's kind of a train wreck right now. <laughs> Um, so I, I just took a step back. Like I just stopped saying yes to go and give the talk to do whatever. I basically kept my job and did fulfilled the duties, but, um, let go of the rest of the ministries that I was involved in, 
boards of directors that I was on, all this stuff that I was involved with thinking I was building the kingdom and just tried to focus on being healthy for a while to like live the life that I was recommending other people to live to. And, uh, in my, my weight at its height got up to about 400 pounds. And I say about because my scale stopped giving me numbers at 350. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't really sure how big I was. I know at one point I stepped on a scale and it said 376 outside of my home. And, um, so let's just say it was ballpark 400. Um, and, and like the whole vision I had for my life, you know, of growing old and having grandkids and, um, retiring, like that all like melted out of my mind, realizing like, I'm probably going to die in my fifties at this rate. Mm. Um, and, and that was a real wake up call for me. Uh, and with that kind of took that deeper call seriously to get my life in order. And, um, over the next three years, I'd, I'd quit smoking. I, through diet and a very generous doctor who met with me every few months and, and eventually adding an exercise when I could with my, as my weight came down, managing stress, learning like new kinds of meditation, working on my sleep. I ended up doing a sleep study, getting a CPAP, um, just like across the board sort of changed my health and, and by God's grace was able to lose about 200 pounds. Um, and now I sleep seven, eight hours a night and I haven't smoked in a decade or so. And, um, yeah, just, it's sort of, I, I look at it and I, and I wonder like, how the heck did I ever pull that off? <laughs> mm -hmm. Cause like, I don't have that kind of willpower anymore. I realize it was a work of grace along with all the good stuff that I was trying. Um, but, but in the process of all that, my spiritual life also was revolutionized. Like, like just my ability to show up and pray to on a consistent basis, wake up and give some of my time to the Lord to focus in when I was trying to meditate, um, my ability to, to be moral, to be virtuous, you know, just to, to break other bad habits, like all of these other dominoes sort of went along with it as I was growing healthier. And, um, it, it helped me to see in many ways, like I was professing the faith with my mind, but I still had all these like heresies deep down <laughs> that like my worldview wasn't fully Catholic. Mm. You know, I, I would think things like, oh, I'm going to go exercise and that's going to help me be physically healthier. And then I'm going to go pray and that's going to help me be spiritually healthier. <laughs> you know, not because like I'm a body, soul unity. I'm a person. And, and every prayer I've ever said has changed my body and every bit of exercise I've ever done has also affected my soul. Mm -hmm. You know, like I just had this weird dichotomy and buckets that I kind of had my life in. And, um, and I, I was just kind of set on fire to start trying to discover like what all this means. Cause we, we often do a lot of apologetics in the veins of integrating faith and reason like that we do integrate faith and reason and, and us Catholics aren't like against science and, and that, um, you know, you can reconcile ideas like creation and evolution and all these other things that our church is open to, but we don't often take the next step and say, well, if this is true, what does this mean for our lives? Mm -hmm. Like if faith and reason are, are, uh, you know, harmonious with one another, if what science is discovering is true, um, you know, this means that the way that we think about things like asceticism, the way we think about the way we fulfill the obligations of our faith, the way that we raise people in the faith, the way that we approach formation, you know, human formation, pastoral formation, spiritual formation, and intellectual formation, like all of these, all of these various disciplines in the church need to be informed by um, this full symphony of truth that we have available to us in our faith. Yeah. Something that are you a student of Christopher West? Yeah. So when I I first studied theology of the body, I had his old Naked Without Shame. Yeah. It was there were cassette tapes. Yeah. And I had a summer job where I did um, landscaping, and that whole summer, man, I I drove around 
with a weed whacker and a lawnmower and listen to those tapes on repeat. Incredible. I, I asked the question in part because um, having been to some of his week-long courses, he talks a lot yeah. about dualism and the impact of dualism, right? This separation that we mm-hmm. that the world tells us exists, that we have a hard time really rooting out of our own lives as Catholic Christians. And and hearing you talk about how it seems like that that tension you experienced when you were talking to people about theology of the body. And I think oftentimes people associate the theology of the body with the, the sexual ethics of the church, but I think you're you're yep. bringing this really beautiful um, again, th- there's still a dualism even in that, where it's like, no, this is about the fact that we are body-soul composites, that we're integrated whole persons, and that everything that we do impacts everything that we do. And and yeah. I, I love that you were able to see that that wasn't the reality that you were living and that you had the grace and the courage to say, okay, then I'm going to pull the plug and I'm going to try to figure out how to live that way and, and figure out what, what can that look like and how do I explore that and what does that mean for me? And it, that meant a lot for you <laughs> to, you know, yeah. half your size and quit highly addictive habits. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's difficult because, you know, science is always provisional, meaning like the, the mode of knowledge we gain through the scientific method is different than that by which we gain through studying revelation through theology. Um, so this is what we're, where people struggle with it is that like, like by definition, everything we think we understand about science will probably someday not think anymore. Right. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll understand things more deeply, more clearly. And yet that doesn't mean that it's not true. Mm-hmm. Right. There's, there's kind of this, this constant, um, focusing that's happening through scientific inquiry but but with that said we also have to hold our our understanding through reason very gently and very loosely i mean we have to be very ready to let go of our ideas um in in a lot of what you find around the thought space around popularizing science today is a lot of like religiosity mm-hmm. you know like just look at like the diet field between like vegans and keto and carnivore and you know, people who follow Ray P and all like there's there's a thousand different ideologies that people follow, um, none of which honestly are probably completely true. Mm-hmm. Right. There's and in 10 years we're gonna, people are going to look back and laugh at, you know, pe- the way people assume the body's working. But frankly, probably each one of those methods could have some kind of positive benefit in your life. Uh, but on the other hand, like what we know through Revelation is it's a totally different kind of knowledge. Because it, because the deposit of the faith isn't contingent upon our faculty of reasoning, right? It's coming from the divine mind, mm-hmm. and so there's a, there's a, a certainty of the raw material, and then our understanding of it is assisted by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, especially and first and foremost, you know, the magisterium of the Church and the Pope's gift of infallibility, um, right? So so there's so we have to like clearly understand the relationship between those different kinds of knowing. But with that said, like Aquinas quotes in the Summa St. Augustine when he's talking about scripture. And he basically says that since, um, you know, interpreting scripture uh, and scripture kind of sharing in the divine nature that, you know, many interpretations can be held together in tension. He basically says when there isn't a doctrine of the church at play, if knowledge we discover through reason contradicts the way we're interpreting the scripture, he says that we should change our interpretation of the scripture so as not to bring scandal to people when they're trying to enter into the faith. Mm-hmm. You know, which is it's pretty strong language that that Aquinas and Augustine are using when they're talking about reading scripture from that context. Um, so, so there really is a way that that our understanding of the universe through scientific inquiry like needs to be taken into account. And if we and if we don't, right, we're we're bringing scandal mm-hmm. to our faith. Yeah, this was one of the huge things as a college campus missionary, uh, mm. doing a lot of outreach to atheists and agnostics, where they felt like the Christian faith was at odds with science. I'd be like, like fathers of our church, church fathers have said very clearly that these are cannot be 
contradictory. Like the, the book of nature and the book of God's word in scripture, it's the same author. It's speaking. He's not going to contradict himself. And uh, since I was one of the only people who had ever said that to them, I wasn't always taken very seriously. But I do like to yeah. think that saying it at least once to them or having one source for it is helpful. And now we have Andrew saying it, but <laughs> quoting Aquinas and quoting Augustine. And now the chain is massive. <laughs> yeah, not a direct quote, definitely an interpretive quote. But um, I'd be happy to provide the, the citation for any show notes. Um, yeah, the, and, and I like, really like the idea of the symphony, right? Because mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. you have different kinds of instruments, but they come together to create something that no one on its own could provide, right? And, and it also it brings out the element of beauty that's in it when you mm. bring the different modes of knowing together. Um, you know, I think of, uh, and, and this is like, it's so built into the DNA of our church, right? You're thinking of something like the liturgy and like how much wisdom there is built in the liturgy, not only, um, not only wisdom that we have from revelation, but so much wisdom that we just have from the ancient world. Like the ancients knew so much about human nature, just frankly out of trial and error. You know, they figured out what worked to make humans flourish and they, they thought about it and they pondered it and they understood a heck of a lot. And, and what we have in our faith and in, in, in the scripture and in the liturgy is in many ways, a bit of like a time capsule that unlocks a lot of that ancient wisdom for us. Um, I'm thinking of the, a recent book by, um, Brett Weinstein and Heather Hoying. Um, and it's about applying basically evolutionary biology to, to um, like our modern lives. And and in that book, he talks about a concept called Chesterton's fence. Mm-hmm. And it's the basic idea that like, if you don't know why the fence is there, don't tear it down. You never know what's and, on and the other side. You never know what's or what cert or what purpose it served in the first right. place. Right. And, and, and by discarding uh, our ancient religions, our modern culture is uh, unwittingly, you know, tearing down a lot of those fences. Mm-hmm. They don't even know why they're there in the first place. Right. So, so in, in and through our church, we're also receiving a deposit of reason, not just a deposit of faith. Um, and then now, as we think of like applying this into a new context, like thinking of, um, of our evening together a few weeks ago, right. Of just getting together, having dinner, sitting down as friends and having a conversation, like receiving something from, from someone that's, uh, you know, kind of like a, a big brother or sister in the faith, like someone that's perceived both as relatable and yet also perceived as like somebody who has some kind of expertise or something to offer. Right. Well, well, those kind of experiences go deep into our human history, right? Like sharing a meal together, sitting around a campfire, telling stories like, like this goes all the way back. Like you're tapping into something deep in the human body and in the human soul by doing this. Um, you know, just having that, that level of connection, right. You're, you're forming the head and the heart, the, um, sorry, my phone wouldn't let me do not disturb. If you want to cut that out, you can, (laughs) we'll leave it. I don't know. Did it come through on the mic? A little bit. No worries. We've now talked about it enough that it can stay. (laughs) All right. Perfect. The, um, yeah, my, my, uh, IP phone updated and there's no longer do not disturb button on it. So, Oh, yeah. Sometimes upgrades are noise for the better. Yeah. 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 So this, uh, like understanding that, that we need the, not just the transformation of the head, but also the transformation of the heart. Yeah. Right. And, and we could translate those concepts into our neurobiology. Right. And, and, and what, um, neurologists have discovered about our brain is it's essentially kind of like a dual processor. Hmm. It's that 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 idea of the lateralization of the brain there's kind of the left brain and the right brain and and there was an old idea that like some people are left brain others are right brain and that's not really true everyone's like a whole brain person but these sides of the brain are are more or less different ways of processing the world around us the one side of the brain deals with language and logic and that's where we get concepts and ideas this is where we you know pick up a book and read it the other side of the brain deals with attachment love an emotion and what they've discovered is 
when you're dysregulated, right? When you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, when you feel unsafe, when you're overwhelmed, the side of the brain that's more involved in your decision-making is actually that like attachment, love, relational connection side of the brain. Hmm. So when, when you're making decisions, when you're dysregulated, you're not thinking through like, oh, like what did I read in that book last week? And like, what was my plan of action? And like, what's the next right step? Like the brain just isn't functioning in that way. What it's, what it's doing is it's asking the question, what do my people do? So it's solving the equation with attachment love. And so the way to transform the heart isn't to just learn new ideas. That's important. You need to be put in the right direction. You need to know the truth. But the way to transform the heart is to, to have relationships of love. Right. So, so the way we deliver the gospel in a ministry like focus, it makes perfect sense, right? You get people together, you get to know them, you build friendships and you give the truth to them. You're, you're addressing the head and the heart. But, but then there's also a neural architecture in the human body that, that correlates with, with what's happening. So this is really fascinating. I, some of what you just shared is very familiar to me, but I don't, I don't think that I have heard it said explicitly that when mm. we're yet yeah, dysregulated, we don't use our logic brain for decision-making. Just like on a side note, it's interesting in terms of discernment. How we say we don't, don't change a discernment decision when you're in desolation. Mm. Yeah. Because that's not your brain. So like you're, you're just saying that neurobiology affirms that your brain isn't operating <laughs> in the, in the correct space. But, but the thing I'd like to spend more time on is this idea of real quick, we shouldn't make desolation and dysregulation totally overlapping. Yeah. Spheres. Sure. yeah, yeah. Yes. Just as long as our, everybody knows like, yeah, I'm there, not there trying are, to say they're the same, but they're, they related for sure. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, not, not identical. Related. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, that we could probably talk for a whole nother podcast on that right topic on itself. Um, but just, yeah, the, the relationship wasn't something that I had thought about at all. So that yeah, the fact one. that we fall back on relationships for decision-making and those kinds of things, like we're, we're yearning for connection, for intimacy. We're, we're going to do things that we think are going to create. Yeah. And, and do we have the kinds of relationships in our life that when we are in a state of either dysregulation and, or, um, Desolation. Desolation. Thank uh -huh. you. Um, do we have people in our life that know what are the decisions that we already discerned and can they help mm. us continue to walk in that? Do we trust God enough that we'll keep listening to him? Or are we just going to stop praying and go play some video games <laughs> and have a smoke? Or are, do we trust him? Do we keep listening? Or do we have friends and people in our life that we're willing to hear out? Oh, go ahead. Well, and, and I think, um, one of the things, Andrew, that we have talked about in many, many, many of our podcasts is how is the topic that we're talking about and considering, how does it relate to love of God, love of neighbor, and love of self? And by love of self, mm -hmm. I don't mean like this popularized self-love, self-care, whatever, yeah. but like truly, like how my, if my body is a temple, <laughs> how do like these things that, that you're talking about? And I think, um, yeah, just the, the that even our brains have this like not just visceral but 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 like actively important need for mm. good very real relationships to yep. be healthy and functional yeah the human person if if you think of it from and and I'm agnostic about whether god created through special creation or evolution happened I think it's just a really good way to think about the natural world and understand it. Um, but if, if you look at like the, the species that whom biologists believe preceded the human animal, like what's particularly different about them is their ability to socially organize, right? When you get up into the great apes, like they have very complex relationships with one another. So in, in many ways, like one of our superpowers as humans is to be in relationship like the way that we're able to, to connect, to relate. And then you add into that like reason, right? The ability that, to have language, 
and share ideas like like it, it's the it's like our one thing that's better than anything else in the world um so so you you, you then pull in like the theological idea that we're made in god's image and likeness as a communion of persons right there's there's something something deeper here so when we're thinking about something like character change then like overcoming a vice making it become a virtue right so much of what's like in the self-help world which even what i've shared already should make the term self-help just seem absurd <laughs> uh you know it leads us to believe that like if we want to become a different person like where we need to lean into is relationships yeah and we, we think of those layers of god others the self right if foundationally like our motivating the motivation when we're in difficult places is attachment love it makes perfect sense then that when god comes to us he presents himself to us as father right because our foundational attachment comes from our relationship with our primary caregivers well god comes to us as a new primary caregiver <laughs> so he's offering us not just right a new set of ideas but an experience of him that will renegotiate our nervous systems like literally our our brains change when we're praying like we're we're uh like the really old part of the brain that regulates all the autonomic functions of the body doesn't distinguish well between what's in our imagination and what's in our senses hmm. and we all know this right if you wake up from a dream your heart rate's different if you fantasize you your body gets aroused like there's all these functions of the body our body acts as if what's happening in our imagination is true hmm. you know so when we're praying our, our body's changing too Right, we're laying down new neuropathways, um, you know. So this is this is a, and this is one of the most powerful effects of stories. The way that the brain interacts with, with narrative is it is your body literally starts to react as if you're in the story at some point when the book fades away, hmm. and your mind is completely captured in the text. That that the things we read become our experiences and change our heart, hmm. right? And, and we have uh, we have bodies that that make this all make sense. <laughs> yeah. So I, to return to your story a little bit, you had mentioned this graced period of time when many habits mm. changed, your body changed. You, you also then noticed the kind of spiritual clarity and the increase in discipline allowing for, uh, you know, the, the a virtuous circle or cycle rather than a vicious cycle. Um, mm -hmm. Do you, were, were relationships uh, more majorly at play in that? Was this really and truly just more like divine intervention? Um, looking back, are there people that you would say their example, their friendship, their their mentoring, their coaching, their uh, the stories that I took in at this time, any of those kinds of things? Or I'm curious. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of layers to that. Um, I tried to ask the same question it, rather than a series of questions. It, I, it wanted, yeah. it, the heart of it was still it's the same. It's a great question. Yeah. It's a great question. And, and part of the timeline is, you know, this, there was kind of a, like a neutral zone where the Lord had put this inspiration on my heart to live a healthier life until I actually then started living that healthier life. And we're talking a couple, we're talking years. Mm -hmm. Um, of, of space. And then we're talking years again when the transformation was happening. Um, and, and I think both periods were important during that, that period when I was in neutral, like that, my wife and I got married during that time. Um, I switched from being in campus ministry to working at a parish. And a big part of that shift was a lot of the, a lot of the people whom I had sort of mentored and discipled in that earlier phase were now graduated from college and they became my friends. Um, so like continuing on living life with them, you know, recognizing that a lot of them, frankly, ran past me, um, in our mentoring relationships, um, and starting to do, you know, basically like a weekly men's group with them was a big part of it. So having the deep, the relationship with my wife and, and that relationship, having the men who I was kind of living life with the doctor who, frankly, I, I literally picked him because he was overweight too. Like I didn't want some skinny person who had never been fat telling me how to lose weight. So like I looked up a fat doctor. Uh -huh. <laughs> Incredible. And 
And like the first year I met with him and he was like, well, I think you should try Weight Watchers. So I did that and it kind of worked. And the next year, um, he's like, I've been doing some research and he literally like got out his prescription pad and started writing like, eat this, don't eat that. And kind of described more of like a low carb diet, you know, but, but it was, had a real feeling of it, of like, we were on a sinking ship trying to get off together. <laughs> so he was really journeying and trying to think about it and consider it too. Then he started meeting with me every three months as opposed to annually. Uh, so just having that, you know, that reassurance that, you know, there's a medical professional, like giving me feedback on what I'm eating, tracking my weight. We were doing, taking my blood and doing testing, you know, to make sure everything was, was in line. And so that was a huge piece. Um, I had an uncle who was a, uh, a sleep specialist and, and he helped me to, to do a study and, and get my sleep sorted out. Uh, I've had a spiritual director all through this time I was in counseling. Um, so there were different periods of time where my wife and I were in couples counseling and then also I was on in, in individual counseling, you know, so there's all these different layers of, of relationship and connection that were part of that journey. Uh, and it, and it all, yeah, I, I, I know I couldn't have done it without all that support. Mm-hmm. Like I said, this is spread out over five or six years when all this is happening. So, mm. thanks for fleshing that out. That was helpful. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, and such a beautiful witness on, you know, I think so often, I know I am guilty of being like, oh, this will fix it. Like this one thing mm. is like the golden ticket to like me having more energy or me sleeping better or me, you know, whatever. Or this, this one thing will be the golden ticket for my kid to not do this or to do that, <laughs> you know, and realizing like, no, that, that there is, I mean, this is another place where there's a symphony of where we're often in, in so much discord because we've got so much information coming at us and we keep hoping that, oh, maybe this piece of information will be the one thing that fixes all my problems. And, and mm-hmm. I think what you just shared is such a beautiful testimony to that a it's not just one thing that there's a lot of things yeah that b any one of those things takes a lot of work and a lot of time in and of itself it's not a silver bullet that works overnight although i'm guessing mm-hmm. a cpap probably made a pretty big difference overnight <laughs> yeah it did <laughs> but even to get to that point can be a journey um and and then to to undo decades of not good sleeping. I'm sure that took time to, to really come yeah. to fruition. Um, and, and that there were the layers of both professional help and just the people that were willing to walk alongside you is such a great reminder to um, the depth of need that we have as humans to seek a fuller life. Um, and, and, the importance of relationships to make that happen. That, how do I tie what you just said with what I want to say? Just just say it. Okay. We'll tie, I can tie it together. I'm the tying it together person. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Weight is off our shoulders, Andrew. <laughs> uh, I, I think meeting people who think that the Catholic faith is a relatively irrelevant thing right like mm-hmm. they go to church on sunday this is uh oh no you froze or do we lose i'm still here oh oh there you are you're back okay oh i came back oh, okay good. oh it says our internet connection is unstable looks like we're back in action but we're back okay okay Catholic faith irrelevant. Catholic faith irrelevant. And people saying, you know, I go to mass every Sunday and and it doesn't really change anything. Mm-hmm. And I, I've been listening to your podcast over the last few weeks, uh, random episodes, mm-hmm. and it, it seems like you're convinced that the Catholic faith is relevant, like <laughs> deeply yeah. relevant. And, and this yeah. disconnect between people's lived experience of you know, I, I was raised Catholic and it's not doing anything for me. Or, you know, I came into the Catholic church and I, I, I'm, I've stopped practicing really. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's almost like instead of being irrelevant, 
it is too relevant. It is too transformative, potentially, if we take it seriously. Um, mm-hmm. Almost to the point of being overwhelming in terms of what all might need to change or might be changed over time. I've been pondering recently. There's a story that I heard a long time ago about a woman who is Catholic and like mediocrely practicing and her husband wasn't. And he started looking into things and and he came to her one day and he said, if you really believed that the creator of the universe was truly present in that bread that you eat on Sundays, how can you not go to mass every day? Hmm. And I probably heard that when I was like first becoming a missionary and was like all excited. I was like, I'm going to go to daily mass forever and always, and it's going to be awesome. And this is really (laughs) inspiring. And, you know, and but but thinking about that of like if we actually take the time to be intellectually honest about what we say we believe and and confront that with the people that we're sharing life with it's it's uncomfortably life changing yeah and and that's an and I think that maybe this is like sort of tying, this is partly my attempt to tie things together, but, <laughs> but, but to what you're saying, Joseph, that it's like people aren't, don't want to face that reality oftentimes. And, mm-hmm. and Andrew, your story sort of almost proves the point, <laughs> right? Like it's a hard reality to face. It takes a long time and it leads to major changes but I think the beautiful thing about your story is that it also says that it's that it's worth it, and and that yeah. the, the gospel is so much richer than. Well, let's let's check before we assume. <laughs> Was it worth it, Andrew? Was it definitely worth it? Okay, definitely worth it. Then yeah, keep going, Crystal. Yeah, the <laughs> the um you know, when it, when it yeah the, the I think the opposite question is equally as applicable like. If what we say about the Eucharist is true, why would we ever have to receive it more than once? Mm. Um, but I think that's that's God understanding our human nature, right? And what we're doing there is is also something, um, you know, it's not, uh, and and this one, it was one of the key insights I've pulled out of Dietrich and Hildebrand is, you know, that what we're doing there in worship isn't isn't primarily, or or the primary purpose isn't therapeutic, right? Mm. We're not there to to be transformed. We're there to worship God, mm-hmm. and we're secondarily or accidentally we're transformed in the process of that worship. Mm. Uh, and by by flipping it on the head, we actually end up like sterilizing it, right? Uh, yeah. If we're there to be transformed and not to worship the Lord, yeah. But yeah, have you? But have you ever read John Senior's The Restoration of Christian Culture? No. Oh, okay. <sighs> well, it's it's worth it. Okay. Uh, but he, he also talks about that tension, like culture is fundamentally going to be coming from the liturgy and from the mass, but mm-hmm. we don't celebrate these things. We don't worship God so that we can make a culture. The culture yep. is the end product um, of, right but, worship. But it, of right worship. And so people who say, I, I really want to change the culture, are like this is a fundamentally disordered way to talk about it. We should say... I want to worship God rightly, my whole yeah. body, mind, soul, and strength devoted to the worship of God. And that will, uh, <laughs> believe it or not, we have a three-year-old. Oh, nice. Yeah. He came into the room, and then Crystal took him away. And now it's just you and me and our audience. That sounds good. I have a two-year-old. He's not in the room with me, though, so it's good. Yeah. Um, but again, yeah, John Senior talks about this. Joseph Pieper in Leisure: The Basis of Culture. Yeah, he talks about like we we need true festivity. We need true leisure. Culture is going to come from that, but leisure has to be a good unto itself. Otherwise, it's not real leisure. Yeah, and this this tension, like, oh, uh, yeah. I I mean, we we're sort of inundated with like the culture war and culture warriors and, and such it's like the, that's actually the the wrong way to to go about it um, yeah yeah and, and and the same is true like i spend a lot more time in kind of the self-help literature world 
and like the idea of self-actualization or like becoming the best version of yourself, like all of this really isn't what Christianity is all about. You know, like this, like my overcoming sin, my becoming the person that God's calling me to, all this happens in the process of me seeking to worship God rightly. Uh, and, and, and this is, you know, that, you know, that, that off quoted phrase from John Paul II or the second Vatican council that we only truly find ourselves be, by becoming a sincere gift of self. Um, and, and with that, uh, I think that's, that's an important thing to continue to hold together because then there's the opposite's true, right? That, uh, it's not that like overcoming sin isn't important. Like one of the deepest flaws in contemporary spirituality is disconnecting the growth of virtue from the growth in prayer. And a lot of people think praying better is just a matter of technique, you know, like learning a better technique. And that's a very kind of Eastern idea. But we only grow in prayer when we grow in virtue. Uh, we, we The truth will set you free. So, um, And only the pure in heart will see God. Yeah, blessed are the pure fish. Exactly. So, so with these ideas in mind, and this is where I like to pull in the classic idea of like mysticism versus asceticism. And basically the idea like mysticism is basically what God's doing to us. Asceticism is what we're doing for God. Um, and so I think a lot of these kind of behavioral changes need to be positioned in the context of the church's ascetical tradition. Mm. Right. Cause we're, I'm not, I'm not going to mass, you know, it's like uh like mass means Thanksgiving, but it's not the same thing as doing my gratitude journal. Yeah. Uh, and then, and similarly, like uh, like prayer is good for me. Like it transforms my nervous system, but I'm not doing my prayer in order to have a different brain, right? I want to have a relationship with a person who loves me and whom I love. And in the process of loving that person, my brain happens to be different on the other side of that relating. <laughs> uh, so that's just a point that continually needs to be held out. Yeah, and when we make the transformation of our... Um of our uh, brain, mind, body, the goal, we're, we're much more likely to take shortcuts. We're, we're much mm. more likely to, to also uh, to pretend like we're further along than we are. You know, this is, this is yep. a very huge temptation for people who are involved in different evangelical or ministerial kinds of positions to pretend mm. that we're not where we really are. Yeah. Well, and and that I think is interesting because it goes also then when you're in a ministerial position, people will often pretend that you, that that you're for like people want you to be further along than you are. Also, you know, like I'm, they want a guru. Yeah, yeah, we we have some friends that have become very dear to us, and the first time we met them and had them over, they're like, "Oh, the Holy Family, the Grubers," and we're like, "No, no, 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 no," and. And they very quickly were like, oh, yeah, you're right. You're not the Holy yeah. Family. <laughs> Easily dispelled, yeah. and unfortunately. So it was nice to get, like, get you know, but I, we we could not have developed the friendship that we've developed with them if they had have kept us up on a pedestal. And and oftentimes mm-hmm. I think people do that because they, they want to think it's possible to be further along than we are without whatever effort and work. And so if we can imagine that somebody we know is that maybe just, maybe I can get there and it's like, no, we're not. (laughs) And you can't either be either. And sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Jesus is the mode and the model. Uh, You know, the the whole self-help world is filled with people whom are objectifying themselves as the advertisement for their product. Mm. Or you do like you, you, you do a diet and you do a workout and then you take a bunch of photos of yourself, you know, after your workout and you put them on your Instagram, like that's the way you get the followers. Uh, so there's, there's a whole pressure in the community to, um, to basically like make your body into the billboard for the product you're selling, the ideas you're selling. Um, you know, so sometimes I joke and say, well, I'm going to be the pudgiest person on YouTube talking about health. (laughs) Not that I want to be overweight, but the reality is like the idea of health that people have in their mind is often thin or like a six pack or, you know, these things that for a lot of people, frankly, is probably being underweight. It isn't really what health is. Um, but, but I, I try to make very intentional choices to make sure that Jesus is being held out as the example. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and, and that means that like health isn't an absolute value. Like we have to face the fact that we have a savior that chose to die young to like sacrifice his life for something. Um, so that means like, you know, you might discern, well, God's calling me to have another child, <laughs> like understanding like your psychological health is probably going to be worse when you don't sleep. And, you know, you're probably going to gain some weight, like things aren't going to look so good afterwards. What were uh, we thinking? You're not going <laughs> to, you're not going to be able to afford all that organic produce anymore. You know, like, like, like we're making choices that in our context, like you might not have optimum health, but yeah. that's okay. That's not the ultimate goal. Yeah. Right. When we hold up martyrs as some of the best examples of people holding on to the Christian faith, it's hard to say like the six pack abs and the um, organic apples <laughs> are, are, are the, uh, the route to self-actualization. Yeah. You know, I think that's such a beautiful point of, you know, do we make an idol of our health and, and mm -hmm. being aware of when that is a danger when, when we're running the risk of that being dangerous, I think, Oh yeah, that's a whole nother can of worms. But I think it's a really important one to at least. Yeah, and the the question of whom do we serve? Mm. I was studying the story of David and Goliath with a couple of guys last night, and it was fascinating. There are several instances when the question of who who are we actually serving as the army of Israel came up. In one, you know. Goliath identifies the opposing army as the army of King Saul. He doesn't say, you're the army of the one true God. He doesn't say, you are the army of the people of Israel, those who fight with God, uh, wrestle with God. He, he said, no, you're, you're Saul's. And then the second time uh, Goliath comes out that we have in the story 40 days later, and he issues his challenge again, the men around say, oh, if only we killed him, we would be rich, we could marry King Saul's daughter, and then our, our household will experience a kind of freedom, right? We, we will experience uh, riches and sex and power if we face this guy who will tear us limb from limb. And that wasn't enough to motivate them, right? Like, mm -hmm. the only person who was motivated to face Goliath was the one who said, we are the army of the living God. I want his name yeah. to be known. This is why I'm going to fight because he will fight for me. And then that's obviously King David. Um, but th this question of why are we doing this? Who are we serving in what we're pursuing? And this realization, Oh, there, there are many days when I, um, the only reason I don't only serve myself is because I put people into my house who, <laughs> who make me get outside of myself. And like, that's mm. not a great thing. That's not, that's not a great day, but it's certainly a better day when I'm only serving myself. And then the days when I get up and I'm like, I am here to serve the Lord and he has given me these people to serve and I'm going to take care of myself as part of this whole thing. It, everything is better integrated. Everything makes sense in that context. And I think too, it gives a proper lens to suffering. I think I see a lot with stay-at-home moms where they're like, oh, I'm suffering for the kingdom. And it, there's like neglect going on of themselves and of their relationship with the Lord because they don't think they even mm. have time to pray. And and like that's also not a, a proper understanding of sacrificial love. That it's this, no, like what am I – who – the Lord is who I am here to serve. And um, he He might actually want me to like go for a quick walk in the woods in the morning so that mm. I'm fresher and energized and moving my body and these things. And But there might be some days where he asks me to sacrifice that because my husband is sick or because my child is sick. And that, that the, the proper thing isn't to not do it at all because... I need to sacrifice everything. The proper thing is to try to do the good and be willing to sacrifice it when asked. Yeah. And, and it, it's so hard to like disentangle mm. our, our feelings from our environment sometimes. Cause we do live in a rather wicked environment yeah. with, um, you know, like the world we live in has been, has been forged and crafted with ideas that aren't 
Christian, you know, so, so even something as simple as like everyone owning an acre and having a mansion, like, like we're kind of weirdly far from each other all the time in a way that our ancestors rarely would have been. Uh, like if you pick up an old novel that gets in to the day-to-day life of people who lived in Christendom, like they were pretty radically close to each other. I'm thinking of like Christian Lavern's daughter or something like that. Right. Like they just lived together. Like it was weird for people to sleep alone, mm-hmm. you know, even when they weren't married or whatever. Like they just, they had this very like. It also got close cold in Norway. To one another. To be fair. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I think people today would just freeze to death. Yeah. Because, because we were just so far. So like we have to, to face the reality that we're not just sometimes feeling bad because of our choices, but we're actually in environments that don't, don't allow us to flourish. So right. we're also called to create a world around us um, that, that matches, you know, basically that's our Catholic social teaching that we're called to forge a world around us that, that corresponds with what we profess. So Andrew, in the interest of starting to wrap things up, I think Uh-oh, we could no, probably... No, but I wanted to talk to him about this stuff. I know. I We we might have to have you on again. I feel like we like opened five cans of worms, which I would like to to play in for a little while. Um, I live in the cans of worms. Yeah, but, <laughs> this is a, we keep using have, this metaphor. I have bad metaphors. You took it to I'm not place. good at metaphors. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, so to... To wrap things up, speaking of of changing our, our like you know do I guess the question is is do you have a practical thing for our listeners of how what is like a thing that somebody could do if they're like you know I think I would like to do something a little bit differently what what something that that could look like yeah two two things one the the part of your brain that deals with aspirations and the part of your brain that deals with decisions are different parts mm. so oftentimes we have like vague notions which we aspire to and like, I'm going to be healthy, which doesn't really give you a whole lot. So, so you always need to get clarity. Like what exactly do you want? And be, be like rigorously honest with yourself. Like if you just want to look hot, like just denying the fact that that's where your heart is, isn't going to help you. Like you need to lay that bare to the Lord and to your loved ones and, and, and beg for mercy, right? Mm -hmm. So you can have a different vision. But then once you have clarity and and clarity that's moving in the direction the Lord wants you to be in, then you need to make specific decisions, right? And, and some of the, I mean, this isn't rocket science. Some of the things that that help to, to bridge that gap between aspiration and decision are just simple things like writing it down. Mm-hmm. Don't just write it down, put it in a public place where other people are going to see it. Mm-hmm. Tell your loved ones. You know, some people will like, advertise all this stuff on social media and that can be a little much like you don't need to overshare on your instagram to make a decision but if if that's what works for you i guess that's what works but but writing it down and telling other people can really help to bridge that gap and um i encourage people to live uh live in the pareto principle that's the old 80 20 rule mm-hmm. where like you get 80 percent of the results from doing 20 percent and and I think that really bears in the health world also. Like if if you're thinking of your diet, your sleep, there's probably 20% of the energy you could put in in all these areas that will give you the vast majority of the results. You know, and um, you know, like getting your butter from some Himalayan yak that's been massaged with magnesium, like mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that probably isn't what it takes. Delicious, but like. <laughs> But like not having That's... pop and French fries, you know, like that'll actually get you pretty far. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there, so sometimes we can get caught up in the stuff that's more on the fringe, thinking that's going to make the difference. Um, when really like, it's just the real like practical day-to-day stuff, like not watching TV before bed can really help you sleep better. Mm-hmm. You know, putting your phone in a box when you get home and not getting it out till you go to work the next day can make a huge difference. Uh, throwing all the candy away can make a huge difference. Uh, so those are all all things where I think people can make a lot of ground and Ch- also not keep all the money in the wallet. Not buying more candy afterward. Or not. Not no, buying yeah. more candy afterward. Telling everybody that you threw out all the candy and then having your husband find the stash that you didn't actually throw out. Yeah. 
anyway. you get to experience being loved in yeah. your brokenness. So. <laughs> Amen. Uh, I love that's that's awesome. Thank you very much for that, Andrew. I think that's those are really practical things. Where can our listeners find you? Yeah, so everything I do, I publish on my website at becominggift.com. Mm. Uh, the podcast Physically Spiritual is published by Awaken Catholic. So you can look up Physically Spiritual on Facebook, YouTube, uh, any podcast player, and it'll be there. Awesome. Could you say your, the name of your website one more time? Becoming Gift, all one word. The word becoming and then the word gift and all in one word, dot com. Awesome. Excellent. All right, we'll have that linked in our notes. And I, I try to list different things that we reference, like links to buy books or links to defined material. So I may do that as well. Okay. I'll give you the actual quote from Aquinas as opposed to my poor paraphrase. And, I'll and I got it. a couple other good ones from the catechism. They'll send your way to, yeah, to yeah. point people and some good resources. Awesome. awesome. Would you like to close us in prayer, Andrew? Let's father, son, Holy spirit. Amen. Heavenly father, thank you so much for this blessed opportunity. Lord, I pray for everyone who's listened to us, that you would richly bless them, give them clarity, give them grace, give them purpose, help them to love. Lord, I pray in a special way for anyone listening to us who might just struggle with uh, with body dysmorphia, with self-hate, with depression. Lord, I pray that you would give them consolation, that you would give them peace, that you would help them to love themselves. Lord God, I lift up to you all the work we do. And I offer for your honors, we pray together. All glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. 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 So take my hand and let's be on our way. And now, finally, I can say that I love Yes, From our outpost to yours, thanks for listening. And a special thanks to John Mark Skoke. That's S-K-O-C-H. For the music. Check him out on Spotify. 